Today I speak with Josh Aikens, a young ambitious builder who helped establish and develop Compound Construction. Compound are leaders in delivering energy efficient architectural homes on budget. Josh shares his journey and speaks all things building, energy efficiency and self-development. When I was younger, I was like a semi-professional cyclist on Lance Armstrong's development team and oh, really? did a lot of racing in Europe. Made everyone really tighten up on, on that net and council, just settled a $50 million settlement on a leaky development because they approved the plans. Smaller house, the amount of work involved is painful for me. <laughs> And we, we kind of joke, what, like, what's the poor man's passive house? Like, yeah. how... And once you do that, people are like, oh, yeah. Makes sense. Why would I go outside in winter with a jacket on and have holes all through it? Yeah. You know? And they go... Yeah, so, Josh, uh, take us back to when you first got into building and uh, when you first came to work in this area. Oh, yeah, I first got in a building, oh, I think it was like 2012, 13. When I was younger, I was like a semi-professional cyclist and was over in America on a team, on Lance Armstrong's development team and oh, really? did a lot of racing in Europe on the road and on the velodrome track when I was younger. But yeah, then I just had a bad year when it was meant to all kind of happen and then didn't enjoy it anymore and moved back and then I was like, what am I going to do? Yeah, what am I going to do? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I wasn't sure. I remember I was talking to a friend and I was like, oh, I really, I'd like to be a builder, but like, I don't want to be a builder because it was just the stereotype of the builder. Yeah. Stupid traders. Yeah. And she said to me, well, you don't have to be, like, you're not all like that. You know, you don't have to be, had this like image of an unhealthy kind of tradesman, but yeah. um, yeah, just said that and it kind of makes sense and, and then um, I really wanted to move down to Queenstown to start an apprenticeship. Where were you best before Christchurch? Uh, I was here. I came, yeah, I was here working in a bike shop. Um, and it wasn't really kicking off down here quite yet. You yeah. would have been down here then. Yeah, I think so. Starting to, yeah. I guess. And it was a lot harder, I guess, to get a job from my experience. So I went to Christchurch and did like six months of housing group houses and yeah got down here as soon as i could yeah <laughs> yes that's that's how i got into it mm. it's a different type of building when you come from Christchurch to here did you notice a big change uh yeah well i got the job at um bayshore yeah yeah i wasn't really getting screamed at um wasn't <laughs> having a builder like do a housing group house and at such a high pace it was just more about quality yeah. which I enjoyed a lot more. And the team culture was really good. And yeah, yeah I really enjoyed coming down to Queenstown and working on, on some more residential stuff, but slightly higher end. Yeah. Um, where the, the product, I guess, really mattered to the client. Yeah, I know it's the same. That sure was a step up for me. Yeah. We both spent a few years working there. <clears throat> for me, um, I had a lot of growth in that company. Yeah. Didn't realise it at the time, but when I look back, I think, yeah, I came on a lot. Personally, did you find yourself at any growth or learn any learnings from working a few years at Bayshore? 
Yeah, for sure. Um, it's an interesting place to work. I really, like looking back, enjoyed how different everyone was yeah. uh, in the company. You could learn so much from from different guys and what they were good at and even what they weren't good at. So I, I know I grew there. I did my apprenticeship um, under guys. Like you, you were a leading hand when I was there and then yeah. um, did my apprenticeship and did Apprentice of the Year and then kind of got to point leading hand under Joel and, and just kept progressing that way. Um, mm. So yeah, that was a good, really good guy to work with. Yeah. Very patient, yeah. organised. Yeah, I learned a lot from Joel and also tells you to sort your shit out when you need to. You know, <laughs> didn't get in a free ride, which was... That's important too when you're yeah, doing apprenticeship. I find a lot of that's like leaving or it's uh, just this culture now where you, you're afraid to offend people afraid to offend staff or there's a point where some people just need a bit of like a heart because i know i did because it made me wake up and, and want to be a better tradesman a better builder yeah but if yeah. the person has your best interests i think it's good you know yeah give you a rock up now and again you have good people like joel you're more willing to listen yeah, but or if it's someone else who's just shouting at you because they've had a bad day, it's not good for any anyone's development. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's it's true. Um, when when you joined Bayshore as an apprentice, uh, you had something different about you, <laughs> <laughs> not in a bad way, and I didn't know what it was at the time. But I'm not sure everyone really appreciated. It. When I look back now, um, I realize you were just committed to quality, dedicated to quality. You had a desire to succeed and it just made you stand out from people and you weren't afraid to stand away from the group and do your own thing. And um, mm. I really admire those qualities. I think they're going to stand to you for, for the rest of your life. I just wonder where, where do you think you get those attributes from? I mean, I've done some therapy in my life and learned as much as I can about myself yeah. um, the last few years. Um, I know having older brothers just shapes you in a way where you want to succeed, you want to prove yourself. Yeah. Um, and then I think the cycling helps you. Yeah, just through school, I was competitive, a bit of a shorter person. That small bothered man me. syndrome. Yeah, <laughs> that bothered me. Maybe small. Uh, yeah, definitely had a temper on me when I was younger. But um, yeah, that and and it was it got me to places, I guess, in terms of success. Mm-hmm. But it's also it wasn't healthy, um, because it was like I didn't need to. I didn't need to have to do that to be happy i could just yeah whatever i was doing was enough so probably like boils down to i just i just always want to experience the best of anything whether it's building or love or life or uh, adventure or anything i just there's so many things you can do in the world that why not try and like get as close to the best experience throughout that that's a great attitude yeah so when when i started building and i'd be like oh man the foreman and they're running the site and they get to drive a truck and and kind of run a crew and yeah. they have all this knowledge that i don't and i want to be like that mm. and then you'd be like and then you look at the boss and you'd be like man i'd love to be able to be like that one day as well yeah. um yeah. so it's like find i just get a lot of motivation from other people and what they've achieved and then i kind of incorporate it into my life yeah yeah. Obviously, I think I was the same when I, I sort of saw the blueprint and I could see like my employers around that time, they were just ordinary people like me. Yeah. So I felt I could do it. Yeah. And you know exactly what you have to strive towards. Yeah. 
I've got a funny memory at work too. Asking, I was being like, "How'd you, how'd you do it? How'd you get to this? How'd you get to this <laughs> point? How'd you?" Yeah. It's like, well, I don't, I don't know. I just, you know, just kept going. And then now, having a lot more on now, it just makes sense. You just, you know, you just keep doing what you're doing and stay working hard, and yeah. the opportunities come. Yeah, just always. I've just always been a motivated person. It's just, I guess, it's just one of my attributes. I feel like, well, I'm not saying it from experience, but people who've got the high level of sports, this is my opinion, from the outside looking in, have pushed themselves to the absolute limits. Yeah. So you've got an inner strength there and you've got an ability to know how much you can push yourself. I think it really stands to you in other aspects of your life and career. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I wouldn't say you're wrong. I've got lots of friends as well that have, you know, one guy not competitive in their sport anymore, but they still continue to... Yeah. Kind of strive and then slowly get to another um, pinnacle of, of a career or anything. So, I think a lot of tradies, and these are probably maybe the stereotypical ones, kind of fall into the job because that's what they're told they should do. Whereas, say, for you, you had a crack at the cycling thing and then you sat down and had to think about what's your next plan. Mm. So you went in there with a plan and wanting to succeed at something else. So you're ambitious from the very start. Mm. Those early days of that responsibility though as well, it's like I want to be as good at partying as I can and <laughs> experience that because I hadn't done it for so long. So yeah. I, I did that and, and really had a lot of fun, but it was to, you know, a bit of an end where it just didn't really serve me anymore and I wasn't, like, yeah. I wasn't like, I want to go do that again this weekend. It was kind of... Yeah, it starts getting old. Oh, I think I'd kind of rather work this weekend because then yeah. I'll closer to what I'm trying to achieve. What in those early days of Bayshore, did you feel any resistance towards what you were trying to achieve? Not oh, you kinda of always get some where your confidence to like move forward might come off arrogant. But that's just I get that all the time in anything. But as you get older you kinda of just get better at managing it where I guess over the years I've slowly just dropped my ego more and more and more and more where I just I don't care. I'm not trying to be better than someone. Yeah. So I don't want to make them feel like I think I'm better than them. Yeah. It's just what I'm into. And then they might be really good at snowboarding or something. So you can learn from other people. Yeah. yeah. Like that's just as motivating when people are good at whatever they're into in their life. The resistance, it's it's hard when you're, when you're like a young guy because your ambition drives you. I guess for me, it drives me so much. So I'm always, I can sometimes always be a lot further ahead than when I am at the time yeah um, the times I really enjoyed working like with everyone was when I was just focused on doing the job for whoever was in charge yeah because I know now how much that makes not my life easy but it's just so it's just so awesome when everyone's just working and just doing the job and ticking through the boxes yeah so yeah I don't really regret much but can see how that um, would come come across what stage did you and your brother start thinking about compound and uh, how did that come into fruition no drew's a quantity surveyor i think he, he wasn't quick to start his career but then it um all was kind of like happening for him and then we thought um well one day we might be able to start a business together um, and I really didn't know what to expect at all. And looking back, I had no idea at all. <laughs> yeah. Like how much 
I just thought, you know, I'm building these houses, multi-million dollar houses. I know how to do the work. Yeah. I'm a good, I'm a good chippy. How very chippy. I'll, I'll be able to do it. <laughs> and then we decided to start and threw myself in the deep end. Drew is like, he's a shared director, but he, um, he still works full time in Christchurch. Okay. So, um, he's in the background in the business as it's grown, but yeah, it started off with like renovations and yeah, um, hustling, hustling, and got some jobs that didn't work out. Um, yeah, there was a pretty steep learning curve, pretty um, reactionary business model at the start. You know, you were just kind of reacting to everything and finding your feet. Yeah, 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 exactly. You'd know what, what that's like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's definitely stages where you feel like you're just quenching fires. <laughs> yeah. You don't really know what's going to happen next. You just you just know you want to do a good job. and But you have to go through that to understand, I think, mm. how it all works, what changes you need to make, movements. How, how doing stuff or doing work or doing anything without an expectation of something in return. Oh, I'm going to do this and then I'm going to get this back yeah. from doing that. Yeah. You just do it because you think it's a good idea and it's nice to do. or And then, in turn, you probably don't realise that it has brought you business down the line and started conversations with other people and and then you kind of start getting that flow. flow in. Whereas at the start, you're so like trying to be, be a business and oh, I need to do this to get that and advertise. And yeah, I found like as you get more into it, you kind of, and you're passionate about it, it gets more like natural yeah so tell us about drew's input he's a quantity surveyor yeah how would you say what would you say is the percentage of input from each of you uh he probably does like a couple of hours a week on average and then when you when you've got contracts and budget and pricing he's doing a lot in the back end yeah um how does that help you in your business oh massively Yeah. yeah you know i'm not a quantity surveyor yeah a lot of builders would complain about the quantity surveyors. <laughs> yeah. I suppose because your brothers, you actually know what he's going through and you kind of work on it together. Yeah. So you're not just as quick to blame the quantity surveyor. It's a difficult job. You're essentially building the house in your mind and assuming how much things will cost. Because mm. well, I, I honestly don't ha- know how other builders price yeah. their work, whether they just get a QS and go, cool, there's my price. And for a tender, yeah. do they curate it? You know, I'm I'm not sure. I don't actually have a lot of friends that are building business owners or anything to, to relay off. But for us, it's just Drew's knowledge and Drew's work as pricing. He's a spreadsheet guru, great with this, um, disputes, contracts. All and, the things and, you don't like doing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, but then as we've progressed together now, he knows a lot more about my side of thing and I know a lot more about his side of things. So. Yeah. Which is beneficial to both of you. Yeah, got yeah. into the stage where it, it's working really well. At the start, it was uh, we, you know, a lot more arguments than we do now. <laughs> yeah, barely yeah. do now. But how important is that communication and coming to the same way of thinking between not just you and your brother, but other people you collab with? Yeah, with architects, designers, engineers. Yeah, just communicating. Uh, in the early days, you didn't want to be wrong. You want you wanted to you wanted to. I know everything, and yeah. if I don't know, then that's embarrassing. Yeah. But now you kind of go. I go into meetings. I I kind of try to organise meetings with 
engineers, architects, you know, frame and truss or panel manufacturers, and yeah. just get we get all there. And is there anything you you'd like to mention that you're thinking about, or and just ask a question, even though you kind of because someone is thinking about something on a totally different wavelength, and then yeah. they'll pick that up, and the other person will pick the other thing up, and and just making it kind of one big team, just communicating and and asking questions and. There's no such thing as a stupid question. Yeah, so true. Um, I've laughed when you said that because I've been there so much. Like, almost afraid to ask a question because you don't want to look stupid. Yeah. And it's so bad. But in but, turn, if you ask it, it's probably going to save Yeah, sa- save something. And then, and, then I've, and then you would have done it and said when you get the confidence to mention someone, oh, have you thought about that? You know, and to the engineer, like, I haven't quite seen that detail anywhere or or is there um can you tell me what's going on here and yeah and they go oh actually i i need to draw that up or that that's yeah. wrong you know yeah that's just shows the importance of communication yeah right so there. like everyone's human yeah, yeah. make mistakes yeah and you shouldn't shame people for making mistakes no that's the funny thing about building culture when you like coming up and it's like oh <laughs> look at what these guys did over here yeah i hate that doesn't breed anything. Yeah, me too. Anything healthy. So you try to create your own culture in your company. Yeah. Open. Open. We just care about doing a good job. Mm. That's all we care about. We, yeah. We so definitely what's... still clash with some trades. Yeah. On site, we just don't care. It must be super frustrating. Yeah. 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 They just don't care at yeah. all. So that is frustrating, but. I suppose as years go on, you're going to form a group of people around you that you all worked well together with subcontractors and different mm. people involved in the build. So, what? yeah, you're talking about culture. What are the important things when you, say, if you're interviewing someone for a job, like what are the things that will sway you over the line to pick a particular person? Uh, as soon as someone asks me what everything that's in it for them, I'm not really interested. <laughs> yeah, switch off straight away. Yeah, because um, they tend to be kind of that way inclined. Yeah. Um, I like people that are enthusiastic about other things in life as well as their building. Yeah. Um, usually, like, we do passive house and, and things like that. If they're interested in that, then that means they're going to, like, want to learn and, and pick up the, the little yeah. intricacies about it. People that just like working hard. Um, because I find there's this culture of now coming through of we work too much and we work too hard and we don't get paid enough and everything's expensive and it's like kind of this victim culture and it's just mm. I'm trying to say it's just not healthy yeah. because as soon as you think like that then you're going to just think like that about it no matter what situation I'm kind of the opinion like I wish I didn't work all the time or five days a week like I'd really rather be fishing mountain biking but it's kind of just a fact of life so yeah just get on with it um and i find with guys that work just have a good worth ethic and and you're like man we're really up against it we're gonna need to do a saturday morning here usually when you got concrete and steel in that stage of the build and they're like one guy's like yep that's all good like you know if we've got to we've got to he asks for a day off boom like happily but the people that always want the day off and this and then i'm not feeling that great and it all kind of adds up. Mm. I always think with employees and employers, this is something I've started thinking when I become an employer, 
it's um, it's a transaction. Yeah. It's just simplify it to what it actually is. It's a transaction. You're giving your time. In return, they're giving you a career. They're giving you money. Yeah. And that's what it is. It's the same, like, as you say, if you want to, if you work a little bit extra on a Saturday to help get something over the line, then in return, maybe you get a day off. It's always yeah. just give and take. Yeah. And when you understand that, it's really simple. You know? Yeah. But I know what you that mean. Was, a lot was, of employees have the attitude of, we want more. We deserve this. This is our right. We should get this. We should get more holidays. Four day work weeks. But <laughs> yeah. then, then now I don't have any money. Yeah, yeah, so, that's not fair. Yeah, yeah. So, I can't say too much. I'm, I'm dropping down to a four day week. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But for different reasons, because I'm relocating my life overseas yeah. and stuff like that. So, and the same, like with my employer that I have at the moment, it's a transaction. We have a chat. And if it works for him and works for me, then we'll do it. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes it, um, we're currently just not really in a position where we can do it, but possibly in the future it might be. But. Yeah. Some yeah, yeah, some building companies are trialing it out. Some guys doing it. Some people think you're more productive. Mm. I don't I, know. No, I remember just being it when we worked together. Like, take a day off, and you you just feel like a dick. <laughs> yeah, oh, I would just. Or I remember once I was in hospital for a couple of weeks, and I was worrying about texting and being like, oh, yeah, I was meant to be out, but I'm not. I'm, but I'll be in, and you know, like in a in a couple of days or. When I was out, I just felt bad because um, I know on a building site, man, when you lose a person, yeah, that just completely messes things up. Yeah, that's true. A lot of things are two people jobs. Mm. So if you don't have the two people, one person can't really proceed. Mm. So just team, team player, and just hard workers, I guess usually. But they, yeah, they understand. Like so, I'll probably use that in the future. Yeah. It's just a simple transaction, really. That was, for me, when I understood that, it's just like a key unlocked the door for me. And I, I've said it to my employees. I've had that chat with them, made them aware of it. This is exactly what it is here. So no need to be feel guilty, none, nothing. So if it works for me and it works for you, it's brilliant. If yeah. not, move on. Yeah. It has to work for both parties. Um, uh, the name Compound, where did that come from? What's it mean? Is it relevant? Not really relevant. No <laughs> idea. Compound? I guess it's compound. It's like a combination of one or two things to make something. So yeah. kind of made sense of building. Was it you and your brother? Yeah, compounding as well. Yeah. yeah, I don't know how we came up with it. Drew is actually quite into that. Um, I, I'm, I came up with the logo. I was stuck with that. I like the logo. Yeah, that's just when I was doing research. I didn't even realize it before, but the underneath is like the silhouette of a mountain. Yeah, I didn't realize that first. Yeah, <laughs> it's awesome. Yeah, it kind of works a bit like that, kind of like, kind of like a heartbeat, but the house, and then yeah. Also, we wanted to be energy efficient, so and kind uh, of yeah. sustainable housing, so it's tied into the ground. Yeah, yeah. It's probably like some of my finest work. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, but I yeah. think the compound. I think Drew came up with compound. That's yeah. a good name. I like it. Yeah, he reads a lot of books. I think he might have read something about branding and and things like that. And it's very important, I think. Yeah. I didn't really pay much attention to it till I needed to in my business. And I got a guy helping me that knew a bit about marketing. And it's just so important, really, how you come across. Like how he, he explained it to me was, you're always trying to attract people and get them in. When they first see your logo, that's your opportunity. to Either pull them in a little bit further or they'll decide to walk away. Yeah. And then they go a little bit further. You see your website, the first page. If they like it, they might come a little further. And it's just every stage you've got to kind of grab that person's attention. 
if I'm buying something online or online shopping or, or looking for a site to buy yeah. anything, the most professional, user-friendly, aesthetically pleasing website is usually the one I'm going to use. Yeah. Plus a bit of research on reputation, you know, so it's legit. But all those things... Initially, those are the first things you notice. As soon as something yeah. is hard to use, understand, tacky or anything like that, yeah. But, but also you've got to, got to stick to like... Like your style as well and, and, and if you want to surround yourself with some of the people or kind of attract what yeah what I suppose that's what's important for you but you've got to attract each person has to attract what's important for them mm. yeah I get you things come in trends though as well I've got a friend who does a lot of branding yeah it's interesting watching the branding it's getting a lot simpler and simpler yeah got so much shit popping up at you on your phone everywhere left right and centre need something maybe simple to grab your attention yeah when you talk about trend, what you're doing with sustainable homes and healthy homes, it's very on trend at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. I remember when I started, it was passive houses are a joke. They just smell like farts. I heard someone <laughs> say that. Um, oh, we did that in tallow shit. That doesn't work. It's such a pain in the ass. But I did it because I, I, the thing when I got into it is I wanted to understand it's so like I hated school, hated science, but it's just basic, very basic science applied throughout the home and just being continuous. So, mm. I guess sustainability is getting trendy now. It's like super important. With I see a lot of greenwashing yeah. in the industry about being sustainable or reducing carbon emissions or um, being energy efficient. Yeah. So it's really hard to stand out where you're trying to. Um, Educate everyone to go do it on the right right level. Um, but there's a yeah. lot of fraudsters out there. A lot of big corporations pretending to be green, but they're not. Yeah. See, I always I like to think most of the world's quite honest, but it's just anything to sell something. Yeah. And, and when think when things get popular, people buy them or people people get into them. So um, yeah, it, I guess it's it's becoming trendy. But the um, usually the clients that we're dealing with and sort of architects who design these homes, it's very science based. So mm. you're kind of not trying to put pull anything over them. It, it's yeah there's evidence and it and it works. Yeah, um, and that's so. important. I mean, for a consumer, like most people, buy a house once in their lifetime. Yeah, it's the biggest decision they make in their life. So for a lot of people, and they're very scared about where to put their money. You know, there's a lot of people out there selling you fake dreams. But mm. if you're um, if you're able to deliver the results and the figures, mm. it gives people a lot of reassurance. Yeah, and then they and then they go to the dinner party and so and so they did theirs and now nah, you wanna you wanna do this feature or or you don't you don't need the walls that thick and it's all about resale. It's all about how much money you make and then. No, for me, I, I I don't see why um I don't see the appeal and continuing to buy and sell houses for the rest of my life. Like yeah, well, you, maybe you're not driven as much by money as other people. Yeah, are. just the um how good it is to just reduce like your overheads and your bills and how that can kind of reduce stress in your life. And but then also, well, we recently did our place in Moonlight. Me and my brothers and I live in it, and it's really energy efficient and. We're essentially making money. We've made money since we started on energy, mm. just by being uh, very close to passive house certified and um, having solar. 
We reduced the size. I reckon I could live in even smaller house. The amount of work mm. involved is painful for me <laughs> yeah. to keep it clean, your, yeah. your yard work, and as you live in it, it kind of, you know, things slowly start to wear. And why, why are people building such big houses? It's just for status, isn't it? That's yeah. That's the only reason. You don't yeah. need that space. They look amazing when they're finished. Um, but, yeah, I think um, we're doing a very large house now, and, and it's fully, completely Passive certified and going to be off-grid. Um, client's quite wealthy, successful. He's planted about 1,000 native trees already. So the thing about that is it just feels good to be doing that yeah. for someone who's just, I just know it's not going to impact the environment once it's done and the planting's probably all going to sequest carbon. So it's it just feels good. And then the next client's similar, yeah. far smaller scale, but... Yeah, getting into that area where people are wanting to do some good, impact less. Yeah, because uh, I've went to a couple of workshops and talks about the building industry and waste and stuff, and it's just incredible. Yeah, waste is pretty bit of pill to swallow. But what can you do about it? Like, you can only make choices and make changes that you are able to do, and I suppose that's what you're doing, you know? Like, you're contributing to energy-efficient houses, building yeah. for a client who plants a thousand trees, you know? Yeah. Like, you can't. But- yeah, the frustrating thing is, it like it's not it, we could be doing it everywhere. Mm. It just takes some legislation to improve everything. All the people, all the manufacturers that make everything, you know, aluminium windows in New Zealand, the code's getting bumped up May. So everything that they make is not going to meet code in the southern region, so they have to improve the window, and they're going to. It's not like they went, oh, we can't make that. It's not possible. Yeah. We're just going to stop making windows. Yeah. Like, Small amount of legislation, they're able to make that window. And it's not going to skyrocket in price because otherwise no one will buy it. So we could be, say, in these developments of subdivisions, could be building some really amazing homes for the future that won't continue to cost and self-sufficient energy-wise. But, yeah, yeah, it's pretty hard to watch just things get built that, you know, 20 years' time are probably going to have mould in the walls and and whatnot. And it's hard to communicate that to people because... I suppose it's just so expensive to build here mm. that yeah. you're not able to afford to that extra outlay, even though it'll save you money in the long run. Yeah, and all you're trying to do is just improve your life in whatever way you yeah. you know, which is to get on the property market. So, yeah, it's hard. You can sympathise with that totally. It's daunting looking at all the problems there is and why is it that I suppose one good thing is we're in the middle of change. Like, one example, this conversation wouldn't have been had five years ago yeah you know it's on the agenda people are conscious of it it just takes time it doesn't happen mm. overnight yeah i know um some big companies that mainly do high-end architectural that didn't really do um the work that i've set out to do and since i started my business and now they're getting jobs yeah because you know they're great building companies yeah and they're like, oh, i need to give you a call and ask you about all this you know, it's not like these builders can't do it. They're yeah. completely capable. So it's cool to see being spread out across the market. So it means, yeah, more of it's happening there. Was the main focus always on healthy homes or is this something that developed with time as your business grew? No, it was always sole focus, yeah. yeah. But I always wanted to do it. I, I was in a period where I love the idea of, of self-sufficiency, like, 
mm. completely. I love hunting. I'd love to be able to live yeah. out and have a self-sufficient home and, and live off the land. And, and I know that it's completely possible. So, But um, yeah, as I get older, I know community and, and the social aspect of life is also very important. So I don't mind it as much. But um, yeah, I just think it's we've just always wanted to do it. It's, it, it makes sense to make something as efficient as possible. Um, it's a shame that it's, it comes at a premium, but um, I just knew if I aimed for that, then eventually we would get there on some level and then branch off from there or keep going. Or Well, you've got a self-sufficient home. Yeah. That's a very good start. Mm. Split between three, me and my two brothers own it, so I'm not yeah. sure how long we'll have it or I'll live in it for, but the whole time that house is going to be there, it's warm, yeah. comfortable, healthy, filtered air. Yeah. yeah. So... So you got like the the house is pumping fresh air all the time, recycling the air all the time. Yeah, you have the mechanical ventilation, heat exchanger, so and it has a balanced up. pressure where it's bringing air from the outside at the same rate it's extracting air, and it just goes through a filter, filters pollen out, um, bugs, and then goes and supplies and in, into inside, and inside's taking out smells, cooking carbon monoxide. Yeah. From living environment, and as that goes out, usually in winters when the heat exchanger works. So if you're heating the space, that air that's getting pushed out is heating the cool air that's coming in. Yeah, so like it's a healthy home. The home itself is healthy, but your lifestyle is healthier as a result of living there too. Yeah, I was doing a bit of research last night, and I came across um, some of your social media and your videos. Uh, most other builders in the basin don't really document their work and share it online because of such demand they don't really need the advertising do you do this extra work for advertising or is there other reasons yeah i think mainly our sole focus when we did our uh, moonlight project was we had the opportunity for the, for the land in covid and um it was pretty risky you know, it cost a bit of money and and we but we wanted to document it and kind of just show what was involved in a more you, you had to watch it for a period of time but a little bit more like an entertaining and real as a builder, it was always hard to understand how these things got done. So yeah, I've always loved video. And we thought if we spend the money, it'll help with reputation. It'll make us better at our job. So we definitely do it for uh, a marketing. And when you're talking about something and you're trying to educate and inspire others, you get better at communicating as well. You get better at your understanding of it. So it's, I guess it's a, bit, it's a big positive all around. And video is such an effective way of communicating. Because you can visually see exactly what you're talking about as yeah, you speak about it. Don't have to read. Yeah. I like I love YouTube, love learning off YouTube. Ian Hink. Yeah. You know, I need to bleed my brakes and with like I'll just YouTube. Yeah, yeah. it's amazing. It's, it's really awesome that you can do that now. So yeah, we find um that works. We're you know, slightly down a different avenue. We don't join a certain builders group and go to those awards and do all of that stuff. Um thought we'd do this and just trying to do things slightly slightly different and, and genuine. Yeah, I feel that from your videos. It is genuine. It's very educational. And the quality, well, you can see the quality of the work, but the, even the quality of the video, it all speaks to the standards you guys set as a company. So it is really good advertising. It's showing people exactly what you do. And another thing is, when I was looking at some of the videos last night, like me and you are both builders by trade. We would understand a lot of the concepts. But for some of them, buying a new home they've no idea what the terminology we're using yeah so to actually see it in practice and see exactly what it does is very beneficial yeah 
or even in my journey through building and, and then getting into more energy efficient stuff and then you're learning about everything. Yeah. That's from a builder's perspective. And then say you're a client and you're trying to understand this and it's totally, you're not involved in the profession at all. I don't even know how you, un- but it's your biggest investment, trying to understand everything. Yeah. It's difficult. So like some more, um, I guess, education about the science of it and benefits in which it's visual and you can kind of see the work and what's going into it, bringing it back to basic science. Like, and mm. once you do that, people are like, oh, yeah. Makes sense. Why would I go outside in winter with a jacket on and have holes all through it? Yeah. You know? <laughs> And they go, oh. I think, yeah, it can be really confusing, but at the end of the day, it is simple when you break it down to simple theories. Mm. And I follow a lot of other builders who do similar stuff around the world and, and watch all yeah. of their videos as well. And yeah, it's, it's just a great way to... I just wondered if there's any opportunities to use them for, I don't know, um, helping for environmental change. Mm. There's some really good groups in Queenstown, Sustainable Queenstown and... yeah. Like that, they did a talk once. Dennis from DCD has been a big advocate of energy efficient design, yeah. and, and he was, um, when I was doing that build, he always offered his time and I had real good chats with him as well. So, yeah, he did some stuff with Sustainable Queenstown, and then they do uh, planting. And the videos are, are very educational, it's a good tool that could be used to educate people on that level in, in all industries, though, because a lot of other industries are doing a lot of work. Like, Farming gets smashed, but there's a lot of really awesome stuff happening out there in farming to improve everything. But some stuff also isn't as bad as as you might think as well. Yeah, I find video education like and and things on YouTube a really great way to to learn. Yeah, 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 for sure. I love a good YouTube video. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Into yeah. a rabbit hole. Yeah, exactly. You just <laughs> got to make sure you curate it enough that you don't go too yeah. far down a rabbit hole. But it's balanced, the same as everything yeah. in life, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. And the algorithm. We've yeah. got it. At, we've got it at home, and I've started playing some golf, and now the whole YouTube's golf. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's, it's true. Yeah. Um, when you're making these videos, um, were you nervous for the first few videos in front of camera? Yeah, I was. Yeah, trying to get your words out and know what to say and, and things like that. Worry about saying the wrong thing. I, I, I don't really necessarily worry about saying the wrong thing so much yeah. um, if I get some terminology wrong. Because the more you see out there, people do it all the time. It's true. But you just just try and talk. talk kind of like how we started the podcast and then yeah. you get more relaxed and then that's when you're just kind of saying it how you want to. But yeah, I mean, yeah it was. I don't tend to watch. Just don't criticise myself. Kind of watch it and but Paul Paul Rayner who was doing the editing he's just doing such an awesome job so it was always awesome to see how he played it all together it's mm. really good no I just I only ask because the first time I done a video I must have done like a hundred takes of the thing I was trying to say yeah yeah <laughs> louder you need to speak louder yeah <laughs> <laughs> but yeah you get real nervous and everyone does a lot of people that have done podcasts with are nervous at first but once you start chatting yeah it just goes away yeah yeah just becomes normal because it's well, a podcast is just natural chat. Yeah, and that's all you're doing. You even on your videos, you're speaking about things you already know. Yeah, it's just uh, yeah. I was gonna one of my questions here is your thoughts on the current NZ building code. I know you kind of touched on it already, but yeah, where do you think it's at? Yeah, and what needs to change? I think it's shit. <laughs> Pretty much, it's really blunt. Um, but you know, um, I'm not an economist. 
as well at the same time you've kind of got to come at things and not try i don't know everything so there's definitely an economy point of view where sudden change probably doesn't serve economy very well mm. but yeah it's not oh, that just the the fact that you can build some of these houses to the current building code down in our climate is just mind-boggling and then you go to europe and you had a german guy i remember at bayshore and he was like this is a joke like my house is like 50 years old and the walls are like you know 600 mil thick and yeah and it's just um using just simple simple building practices but to the right scale to handle the climate yeah and this is an extreme climate yeah and just like the villas we're living in the but we just didn't have the resources i think that's probably what new zealand's always struggled with mm. is resources infrastructure and everything to serve it but now we we have we we just need to be building better houses and it's just going to serve everyone you know healthier communities i mean you say like the standard is shit here today but we all know a lot of houses in queenstown that are maybe 30 years old that are <laughs> yeah absolutely diabolical yeah um I like condensate inside and yeah. freeze and I remember dennis at a talk said there's there's ice inside of caves <laughs> well someone gets a slightly better house and they build a new in a subdivision they go oh no my place is way better than my old house it's like yeah but your old house was a cave and yeah. now you're living in a like less cold cave so it's all relative but you could be just need to be building better houses really hmm. yeah i don't know what it is either I, th- I think it's a few things i think like again just my opinion might be wrong might be right new zealand's obviously isolated hmm. and it's not a massive population, so for other companies to get things here, it is going to be expensive. So that's one factor is the cost. And then I always think of Australia almost like New Zealand's bigger brother sort of thing. And New Zealand adopts a lot of the practices they have in Australia where the climate is not as cold as here. The yeah. insulation mightn't be as necessary. Yeah, Australia is an interesting one. They've actually, it's like being in Auckland as well. They have this perfect climate to build an energy-efficient house. Yeah. And... Um, so Australia, like most of your energy consumptions in the day, because you need to cool your house down. So perfect. That's when your sun is shining. Yeah, yeah. sun incorporates solar energy yeah. with sustainable house and, and build eaves, and you shade it, and you use thermal mass and to complement that. You could still use a ninety mil stick frame in in Auckland and achieve a passive house. You just put yeah. better windows in and put a balcony. It's a lot easier to achieve. Eaves, yeah. So I'm of the opinion it just comes down to money and and it takes a lot of effort to do to provide quality mm. New Zealand isn't a poor country yeah i mean like profit most of yeah most of the property market is but yeah and like you said earlier it has property. to come from legislation from the top down mm. to really make change but yeah like my parents house which is 25 years old has all solar panels on it and the sun barely even shines in ireland and they still have solar panels yeah but that was a grant, you know, the government pays 50% of the cost of the panels. Yeah. That's, what, that's what's needed here, you know, yeah. making it affordable for people. Some incentives. Yeah, and I suppose it'll all happen. I feel like things just happen a little bit slower here in general. We even saw it like on a scale with the pandemic. You see it happening all around the world and New Zealand was the last place it came to. Yeah. Which was good for that situation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, things will change with time, I guess. Yeah, like you look overseas and... We're we're really good at putting a cavity on like every cladding system pretty much now. Yeah. Compared to most of the world. Like America still direct fixes weatherboard. Right, yeah. <laughs> um 
I suppose yeah. the leaky home crisis has caused that change to happen, which something good has come from it. Yeah. Yeah. Made everyone really tighten up on, on that. I think the council just settled a $50 million settlement on a leaky development because they approved the plans. Developers bust, obviously, but... Yeah, that's a perfect example of where legislation can take care of the issue mm. and by improving it benefits everyone. Yeah, because, not to get too much into it, because as a result of that 50 million claim, that falls back on the ratepayers yeah. that are paying for it one way or another. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, yeah what you're advocating for is prevention. Just, yeah, and so, improvement, Yeah, I guess, for down the line. Trying to be less reactive to problems. So you like to get involved in the design process early on. For a guy with your curious mind, you must take a lot of learnings from this. And how is this an advantage to the, the buyer or the homeowner? I I love it, really. Um, it's probably some of the most in, interesting part for me is in the job. So buyer has a section and they're thinking about their design. And then building something energy efficient, so much of it comes down to orientation. And whether they're designing using passive house package, which is where you input its location and how the sun affects it. I think previously architects could use um, like a sun replicant, I guess that would show shading mm-hmm. in areas, but the passive house package shows how it um, affects in terms of how much like heat um, it gives or overheating in summer. So yeah. just orientation, size of the house, um, and how much concrete's in it, where you position the windows all affect, and how big the eaves are. Mm. It all affects how much energy you're going to need to heat it in the winter and if you're going to need to cool it in the summer. Like Passive House, you, you still have an energy demand. It's you know it's still going to probably get a little uncomfortable in the summer, so you're still going to have to cool it. And then in the winter, you're still going to have to add some heating. But you use the, the windows and the um, makeup of the building to reduce all of that so yeah i love i love that side of it and are they wanting to build fast do they want to use panels or we've had a really good one recently where they're, they're budget conscious and have been good at sticking to that where we're doing six panels and we'll leave like quite a lot of it exposed and i will put most of the electrical and plumbing on on this wall with these internals and then um right. we're not going completely passive but we'll get all the air tightness from the because sit panel is really airtight um just from that form and you get a really good r value from that form as well and then working with the engineer to design around those panels and yeah i really enjoy that aspect because then i can help deliver the right the right product to the to the client yeah it must give you a way better understanding of what the client actually wants mm. and i suppose all the parties are working together not pulling against each other mm. and what kind of like what kind of comfort they want like at moonlight we have two panel heaters that i put on a timer when the, when the power is like cheap slash free in the middle of the night and that's when i heat the house and and i don't mind it when it's like a little bit cooler it's pretty good in the morning but if it's been cold all day, like the concrete um, floor might be a little little bit cooler, but it's like put the laser on it, it's still 18 degrees. But some people really like cosy comfort and to be able to use a heating system. So it's yeah. like, okay, well, you'd probably incorporate underfloor if it's in your budget or, oh, it's not in the budget. Okay, well, let's look at a, 
uh, heat pump system that's really efficient and that's use a less efficient mechanical ventilation system because they range from very efficient to not yeah. as efficient in the heat exchange. But if you've already got a heating demand and you've reduced your budget and saved on the design of it, you're still going to have a, an energy demand um, so you could use less efficient stuff and you say you've saved 150000 on your design, you could probably afford 20000 on solar. Yeah, and then you're you're pretty close to being like self sufficient rather than spending that extra hundred and fifty in the design to be more and more efficient, but then still having a small demand. Like yeah, you can balance that. It makes it like always learning. Currently, I've got friends who want to build. Todd who works for me is in a section, and we we kind of joke what like what's the poor man's passive house? Like yeah. how far do you can you scale it back to? Yeah, you're still doing a really good job. It's interesting. And going to get a good product and and you're not like, you're not doing much different. So, yeah, I've been... That's interesting. Obviously... That's size, the, reduced size, this one. Yeah. Well, that's one thing people don't think about. Oh, we've got, we don't want to spend that much. <laughs> you know, what's that? Get rid of 10 squares, that's 50 grand. 50 nowadays, this building costs. Yeah. It's a massive savings straight off the bat. And then yeah. you're saving on heating costs as well. And you do it at... You know, a little bit at one end, a little bit at the other. Oh, we don't, can't afford the underfloor heating. It's like 30000 Oh, we'll just take a little bit of that, 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 and that. There's, there's your underfloor heating system. So it's really nice when you can work with uh, clients who allow you to have some input. Um, it benefits them. Hmm. Everybody, really. Yeah. Yeah. And then you're working with engineers and architects early on. and Yeah. Kind of use, makes your job a lot easier, kind of. Yeah. Down, down rather than here's the plans day one. And I think your your clients are going to appreciate that a lot more too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, speaking about communication and talk to us about some of the people you collab with and work with. So Moonlight we did with Team Green, Sean and Mark, um, and they've been bit advocates in sustainability and energy efficient realm and and passive house. Um, I really like Sean because she's always kind of been. Like I was talking about how far you go, but you're still making really big improvements, but just going that last 10% passive house and our climate and the, how expensive everything is, like um, it's not, you can like not do it. So yeah. I mean, she's been really good at educating, she's put a lot of time into talking about it and just, just awesome to kind of talk to her about everything. Yeah. Um, yeah, so. It's not cost effective to go to whole yeah 100 percent for passive house no in some situations no no sometimes it's it's so it's massively cost effective to go just to pick a figure 90 percent. yeah yeah so that that's been great um we work with a current project is with joe Lythe from respond architects and arthur lee is that respond and they're both these people and same with sean certified passive house designers yeah um and Joe did a, a case study where I think he's got three children, uh, architect in Auckland, and he built a passive house with a fixed price contract, dealing with a bank that didn't want to really lend him the money. Yeah, and that was just with ninety mil sips panels, wall, timber floor, you know, and he just didn't finish a lot of the inside, and just but now he's got this beautiful, energy efficient mm. home. That is, you know, his kids can live in and, and stay healthy. Yeah. So, 
at the start, you know, he didn't have all these amazing photos of his finished house because yeah. it's slowly just been, he's just been ticking away at doing it. So I really like that attitude. It's like, it's not about having these amazing photos to show off to people. It's more about having what's good for his family. Yeah. That's yeah. the most important thing, you know? Yeah. And everyone should think like that, really. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, you can... And uh, those sit panels, those OSB boards can look really cool. You can do some cool paint effects on them and stuff like that. Yeah, I think he did a bit of whitewash yeah. in some rooms. Um, I've seen one uh, piece of furniture done with one where they used a black dye that seeped real deep into it and then sanded it just to expose the sort of goldish colour. Oh, it really? It wasn't over the top and it actually looks really cool. That's cool. Yeah, it's seen as a, like a cheap, shitty material, but it's, it yeah. makes anything look beautiful, really. Yeah, I'd love to have like a rough hut style house, I reckon. You yeah. Just use all of that and then... But I was thinking about sit panels a couple of years ago and just when we were thinking about building and stuff, I spoke to an engineering friend. He's very sceptical. <laughs> yeah. Because when he breaks it down, it's basically sheet of timber, foam and a sheet of timber. That's just structure. Yeah, so there's two companies that, well, main companies in New Zealand, there's a few. Formants do it where they put polystyrene inside it mm-hmm. and it has timber at each end so it's yeah. essentially t- timber um with a male and female end so usually an engineer will double it up so you have two studs at 1200 centers oh yeah and then um, new zealand sip do a cam lock system where they cast in cam locks into the um polyurethane like pressure treated foam mm-hmm. that's in the panel and then your bottom plate T-tile is bolted at 600 centers usually and you slot the panel on and then you shoot it off. So, but essentially you've got, you're shooting it on both sides mm. as well. So depending on the design, there's that, there is the deflection in the panel, you know, the in and out of it. But yeah. it's kind of a shear rating to, in terms of bracing for square, from my understanding, is, like, is very strong. And then an engineer just kind of needs to design it around that you know you know like an old kind of styled oak framed english home and you yeah. can seal the oak inside so applying that kind of design and you work the panels in around that yeah um, the current one we've got some big lvl posts and kind of like a horizontal um like larger 240 on its edge and the panels are in between that so it's been designed um, yeah well yeah that makes sense if you've got something it. else performing the structure they test it like it's brands price. So, well, well, my mate, he's the reason he was skeptical is he said, yeah, it hasn't been tested over a long enough period of time. Like, he's what well, he's thinking is, yeah, it works, it's strong, while that bond is still intact. You know, like the OSB board bonded to the polyurethane foam. Yeah, he's like, what happens in ten years' time when there's moisture and different things, and that bond might potentially fail? Then you lose your structure strength. Right. But that's an unknown, you know. That's just he's he's skeptical. I'm not. I'm not saying not a, he's right. I'm nah, not saying nah. it's just, he's not. He's probably not wrong. It's an interesting yeah. perspective. And that, I was basing that on a lot of the earlier. So this was maybe I was thinking about this four years ago or something. But what you just explained is there's a frame also giving strength and structure to the building. Mm. So you're not relying just on the panels. Mm. The current one we're doing a big um, certified house. It's got LVL throughout the whole thing because the engineer designed yeah to use it so the the timber content in the wall is pretty similar um but we have no dwangs and we're using a 
the polyurethane foam is it's, it's never going to break down. It's always going to perform as a low conductive insulation material, yeah. and it's airtight, so you kind of tick all those boxes. Yeah. Uh, together, but yeah, I've from my experience in using them and how much I've seen timber frame move after yeah. installing it versus how much I've seen this stuff. It just doesn't move. It's yeah. so strong. That's and, a very good point. You know, like when you do a house and you nail it off and rigid air barrier and as a bracing element, like you really know that when you do that, that it locks it all in. Mm. So you've got that on both sides. Yeah. Um, yeah, when you said that, I just remembered working on timber frame houses and plumbing all the walls, getting everything perfect and coming back after two weeks of rain and everything has just grown. Yeah. And moved. <laughs> and then your brace moves. Yeah. I remember in Millbrook we did it like three times. Yeah, super frustrating. And then uh, you're mate. compromising the strength of all your joints when you have to redo it each time. Yeah. yeah. I remember our, our mate Guppy, he loved LVL. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah. You have like something up to like 15 mil movement sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. It's insane. So, yeah, like that's, that's a good example of where the SIP product works better. It doesn't move. Yeah. You, it's got to be the point about them as well is they're airtight, vapor tight, and usually the homes we're using were mechanically ventilating. Mm. So the moisture doesn't get in there. Everything's working together. Yeah, we're, we're putting a good weather resistant barrier on the outside. Yeah. And I'm not putting some cheap building paper on the outside. Yeah. And I would probably be a little bit more worried about moisture getting into it if we were. I guess when you get into that high performance stuff, you're using high performance everything yeah so you you're a lot less concerned um i get you yeah a lot less chance of any moisture getting in or but you can yeah. still um work around with moonlight we've got a lot of a lot of structural steel in that yeah build. having your struct like i love i i really do like um internally exposed structural portals steel portals mm. we do a lot of that to you know timber ridge beams between and and um um, kind of use panels around the outside as as that insulation yeah. skin. Yeah, so I love that idea of that. I think they were selling them out of America for one of those old barns that are made out of like an oak frame. It's yeah, kind of like what you just said earlier. Love the idea of that exposed, and that's giving you the structural strength, and then yeah. maybe set panels in to avoid the yeah. insulation. There's a guy that has that house. That's I think the only passive house premium. It's in Lake Howia. Well, and he, uh, yeah, all English oak. Yeah. Tenon joined yeah. everywhere, exposed, and then the insulation around the outside. That'd be my dream house. Yeah. You just got to, you'd probably know the tendencies of oak more than I, but there yeah. must be a time where you just like, that has to dry. Yeah. Probably before you even get it, eh? Well, yeah, I'm not an expert on all the tenons and stuff, but a lot of people do green oak, which is like, still has moisture in it, do their tenons and a wedge in it. And as the timber shrinks, it actually pulls in tighter together. Pull right. In. That's the principle behind the design. Yeah. So, yeah, although I haven't seen it in practice, I haven't done much of it. Gets to a point where it's like, there's no way you can let out now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Use a lot of like wedges and stuff like that. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I love all that stuff. Really good craftsmanship. It's almost lost. So many ways of doing things. We just get so trapped into doing it the same way. Yeah. But I guess it's sufficient. And I think we'll leave it there for part one. If you like this, then part two is coming soon. Cheers.
Don't 